0: Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic.
1: And I'm Father Gregory
0: Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we're reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text intro to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 13. Today we'll be reading Part 2, Instructions for Elevating the Soul to God. Through Prayer and the Sacraments, chapter 21, pages 169 through 171 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, we'll take a quick look at what we're covering today. In this episode, we conclude part two um, of St. Francis' teaching on the two tools of the devout life, prayer or meditation as we've talked about, and the sacraments, which we've also talked about. Following the reading for today, we'll finish part two by receiving instruction on how best to communicate, as St. Francis puts it, or how best to receive Holy Communion. And for our part, for our conversation, we'll, we'll wrap up part two by reviewing what it is that St. Francis has given us over the course of the last 21 chapters, the, these two tools of the devout life, meditation and sacraments. So before we turn to our reading, let's say a quick prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to Thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly, for the praise and glory of Thy name. Amen. Chapter 21. How We Are to Receive Communion Begin your preparation for Holy Communion the night before, through many aspirations and brief and quick prayers of love, going to rest earlier so you may rise sooner in the morning. If you wake during the night, fill your heart and mouth immediately with some sweet words so that your soul may be perfumed for the reception of her spouse. He, awake while you sleep, is preparing a thousand graces and favors for you, if for your part you are disposed to receive them. In the morning, rise with great joy on account of the happiness and hope for you, and having confessed your sins, go forward with great confidence, but also with great humility to receive this heavenly food which nourishes your soul with immortality. And after you hear the holy words pronounced, Lord, I am not worthy, no longer move your head nor your lips, whether to pray or sigh, but sweetly and meekly opening your lips and raising your head enough for the priest to place the host upon your tongue, receive it, full of faith hope and love, him through whom, with whom, and in whom you believe, hope and love. O Philothea, imagine that, just as the bee, after gathering from the flowers the dew of heaven and the choicest juice of the earth, reducing them into honey, then carries them into her hive, So to the priest, having taken from the altar the body and blood of the Savior of the world, the true Son of God, who has descended like dew from the heaven, and the true Son of the Virgin, who has sprung like a flower from the earth of our humanity, places them as the delightful food into your mouth and body. Having received him, rouse your heart to do homage to the King of your salvation speak to him about your spiritual affairs. Consider that he is within you, where he has taken up his abode for your happiness. Make him as welcome as you possibly can, and in all your deeds make it clear that God is with you. But when you cannot have the advantage of really receiving the Holy Eucharist, receive communion at least spiritually, uniting yourself by ardent desire to this, the Savior's life-giving flesh. Your primary intention in receiving communion should be to advance, strengthen, and take consolation in the love of God, for you must receive through love that which love alone caused to be given to you. You cannot consider our Savior performing a deed more loving or more tender than this, in which he annihilates himself, as it were, and changes himself into food to be eaten, so that he may penetrate our souls and unite himself intimately to the hearts and bodies of his faithful. And if worldly men ask you why you receive communion so often, tell them that you do so in order to learn how to love God, to purify yourself from your imperfections, to be delivered from your miseries, and to be comforted in your afflictions and supported in your weaknesses. Tell them that two kinds of people ought to receive communion frequently. The perfect, for being well disposed, they would deserve great blame if they did not draw close to the source and fountain of perfection, and the imperfect, for in order that they may be able to aspire to perfection. The strong lest they should become weak, and the weak that they may become strong. The sick that they may be healed, and the healthy lest they fall ill. Tell such men that for your part, imperfect, weak, and sickly as you are, you have need of frequent communion with him who is your perfection, your strength, and your medicine. Tell them that those who do not have many worldly affairs to look after should receive communion often, for they have leisure to do so, but also that those who have business on their hands should receive communion often, for they have need of it too. He who is faced with many labors and is weighed down with many cares must eat solid food, indeed frequently. Tell them that you receive the blessed sacrament frequently so that you may learn to receive it well for rarely does one perform an action well without practicing it often. Therefore, Philothea, receive communion frequently, as often as you can, following the advice of your spiritual father. Believe my words. As hares in our mountains become white in winter because they neither see nor eat anything but snow, so too by drawing close to you and eating beauty, purity, and goodness itself in this divine sacrament, you will become wholly beautiful good and pure. So as we've just heard from St. Francis, he's, he's really direct in, in what our concern and what our focus should be in, in, in receiving Holy Communion and communicating, as, as he said. Um, when I first saw the chapter title, I guess that's not a really common way to talk about <laughs> receiving communion. Um, I think we... We often, write, say like I receive communion, not I communicate. I was, I was a little thrown by that, as you might have been in, in listening or reading the chapter to to think about talking to somebody, but uh, here we're talking about receiving Holy Communion. And as I was saying, Saint Francis is, is is really direct about where our focus should be in receiving Holy Communion. He says that our main focus should be to advance. Strengthen and take consolation in the love of God. And as we've talked about uh, over these last episodes about Holy Communion, its place in our lives, its effect in our lives, we can see, or maybe hopefully, see how these three sort of focuses make sense to advance, strengthen, and take consolation. So I don't know, Father Gregory, if you have thoughts on any of those, on one of those, of all, on all three, and and our advancement, our being strengthened, and our being consoled with Communion.
1: Yeah, uh, in the last episode, we talked a little about the the Holy Eucharist as nourishment. So, when this you know the Christian tradition describes the sign value of the sacrifice of the Mass, one of the things that's pointed out is the fact that we receive under the appearance of bread and wine, which are you know kind of like again the daily fare of table fellowship. So, in a lot of cultures, like Western cultures, Western European cultures especially. Uh, Bread and wine would just be the staple of an ordinary meal. And so you would associate it with, you know, advancing, strengthening and taking consolation because it's the type of thing that, you know, when you've got to put in a hard afternoon worth of work, then you're going to want to eat well, not something that's whatever, super sugary so that you crash or like real heavy meat that you feel like all of your energy is going towards digesting uh, said meal. You're going to want something that's, that's light, but that's substantial. And then so too, you know, when you come in from whatever, like a long hike maybe, and you're cold and you're tired, you're going to want to, you know, take something that's going to make it so you can feel the life returning to the limbs and you can feel like the blood rushing again in a way that it didn't. Um, So St. Francis is drawing on this imagery that's inbuilt in the sacrament and then explaining in a sense how it's true spiritually, right? So it's not just like we should reduce the sacramental imagery to some kind of merely physical sense, right? It's the, the physicality of it, right? The, the the signification of it is meant to communicate to us spiritual realities, immaterial realities. And as we tune into the sacrament, as we pay attention to the signs which are on offer, we profit more from the graces and virtues and gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are fortified, which are strengthened by our partaking in this communion. So I think it's just, yeah, it's just a kind of simple attending to the sacramental imagery, the sacramental signification, so that we can profit from what it actually uh, furnishes us, the believer with.
0: This list too, for me, is kind of a great summary of of what we're doing, you know, in pursuing the devout life and what St. Francis de Sales is leading us to, um, right? Because like the whole the whole premise of this book, the whole premise of our studying it together and reading it together and, and praying together is that we would grow in devotion and love for god you know advance in that but you know immediately as we start talking about that as we did in part one we have to recognize that there are certain things in our lives that need to be purged away you know our attachment to vices to worldly things to sin um so in that we also need to be strengthened you know for that we could say fight for that process um but we're also not left to just sort of like a uh, rooting out. Like there, this is about friendship with God and that is a great consolation. So uh, these three are kind of like a nice summary to what we're doing, but they're summed up and what in the Eucharist and Christ, that Christ is the means of all of these things. It's not what we do, but it's what Christ gives us. And I think that in growing in the devout life, in the spiritual life, in holiness, it's, it's an attitude and a disposition of reception of these things, of receiving from God. And there, you know, obviously, it's the Eucharist that we receive. So there's a real, I think, beautiful summary of, of what we've been talking about in these first two parts so far and what we'll continue to talk about in, in the parts to come in the book. Um, one of the things too, that, that we've talked about is, is preparation. And, um, we could talk about this under a whole host of titles, but I think it's helpful to talk about it in like habit building of like, what do we do so as to be ready to do X, Y, or Z, you know, whether it's to receive communion, whether it's to take time for meditation and prayer, whether it's to like be a good friend or like have friends or seek good advice, like what are we doing so as to do that well and here, and, and with respect to communion, receiving communion, and this could be applied elsewhere, St. Francis kind of prepares us with like what could be called proximate, or sorry, remote and proximate preparation, right? So like he counsels us to begin preparing for communion the night before, which is kind of like, I don't know. I Do I do that? I don't think so. But it's a great thing, like are, how are we preparing for communion, you know? Like what are we doing the night before? What are we doing as we're going to mass? What are, you know, These things are good questions to, to ask and to sort of begin to shape our lives. So I don't know, do you have, do you have thoughts about that, Father Gregory?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this. Uh, so both you and I ran cross country and track in high school and college. And there's a way in which, depending on the season, there's a way in which your event begins to shape not only your day, but the entirety of your week. So sure, you know, you make certain proximate preparations for a race. You might show up, you know, an hour and a half early, you might jog a bit just to kind of limber up, you might stretch, you might do some form drills, you know, you might put on some kinesio, you might do any number of things in immediate preparation for a race. But in a broader sense, the whole of your week begins to assume the shape of the race that you intend to participate in or even win. Um, So thinking about high school, you know, you have dual meets or tri meets on Wednesdays in the state of Pennsylvania, and then you have invitationals on Saturdays. And so our coach would schedule our week such that we were doing intense things with enough time. To recover for you know like the big invitationals the ones that really mattered for national rankings or for tuning us up in anticipation of leagues and districts and states so you'd have like a long lazy run on sunday just to kind of get easy over distance like you know just those those big miles in and then mondays you'd have intense workouts so maybe a big hill day or maybe a big tempo run day or something like that and then on tuesdays we'd have a two a day with volume in the morning and then the afternoon, something a little less intense in preparation for the meet on Wednesday and so on and so forth. But the whole of the week took on the shape of the success that you sought to uh, accomplish in whatever you know, particular events with the idea that you wanted to win the league and the district and the state and that you had to be intelligent about how you shaped your life. And I think that uh, what we see with the spiritual life is something similar. And it, um, yeah, it occurs to us in very small and modest ways. So, for instance, say you like really like drinking wine and you're accustomed to have a glass or two or three of wine, whatever. You start drinking maybe around 9 p.m. and you have your last glass right before you go to bed. But you've come to discover, you know, as you get more serious about the life of prayer, that you're just a little bit foggy in the morning. It's not like you're drinking too, too much, but you're just a little bit foggy and you wish you were a little more sharp. And you realize that on nights when you don't drink wine the next morning, you feel a little more clear. And so, Even with that small recognition, you realize, well, I could rein it in just a little bit, you know, just a little bit, and that would afford me the opportunity just to be a little more consistent in my prayer. And I think what we see in the spiritual life is that these recognitions, which the Lord gives to us by, you know, His revelation, by His grace, make it so that we're more and more drawn into the heart of the devout life of the spiritual life and as we become convinced of it and convicted that this is in fact God's call you know in my life and that I want to respond to it it becomes easier right not necessarily easy just a little bit easier to respond generously to that offer so yeah i think about it you know there's there's the proximate there's the remote but ultimately it's a matter of that devout life coming to characterize the whole of our existence
0: yeah and and that's just the point right that it characterizes the whole of our existence um it's a challenge to us, and not just at the outset, not just when we're like, yeah, I want to try to live, be a better Christian and and grow closer to Christ. It's not just a challenge then, it's a challenge always to to pursue a life that is, I don't know, God-centered. Like, that sounds super cheesy, something you might see, like, on a poster and like, a I don't know somewhere whatever a bad example but you know what I mean like god sent what does that mean I don't know but when we when we choose to follow Christ when we choose to sort of accept and continue accepting the invitation to share in god's life that changes the way we live you know we're called to live differently and that doesn't mean that we don't get to enjoy the things of this world and in that we have to become sort of some sort of strange recluse or whatever but that but it does mean that our lives are defined and and shaped by by god and and by life with god um and, and that's i think sometimes we get afraid of that or we're afraid of that because we think we're going to lose or we're going to miss out or we're going to some. you know we're no longer going to be able to be who we are but it's really just the opposite that there's a great fulfillment that in, in being with our lord and that in being with him and growing close to him um the other things in our lives actually take on more meaning more significance more importance because they're informed and permeated by God's love, by knowledge of God, and there's there's a real beauty there. There's a real um truth to that too. So, as we wrap up part 2 here, then we've spent 21 chapters reading with St. Francis through through part 2. I would say what for my part, what what to walk away with. Well, two things. One that the the life of or the devout life is one that captures or involves the entirety of who we are we talked about that with respect to you know what we do but also who we are that god wants all of that and he wants all of that to fulfill that and to make that you know renewed and healed and and beautiful in his and secondly that that you know as saint francis has instructed us the two foundational tools on which we'll continue to build on our Are this meditation, this prayer, this time with God, this, you know, communication with God and the reception of his grace and mercy in the sacraments. Um, it's all of a piece, but here is like sort of the bedrock that we've been given. So Father Gregory, any final thoughts as we sort of sign off on part two of, of St. Francis's book here?
1: Yeah. Maybe just that there's no secret hidden knowledge except that which God has made plain by his revelation And which he's mediated to us through his grace so i think sometimes there's a temptation to think you know i'll be a perfect christian just as soon as i figure out the secret um, which all these people are guarding so jealously in the church's tradition there's no secret god makes it known so that we can profit from it it's difficult to respond generously right but again he supplies us with what we need to do just that and i think keeping our eyes fixed on god and the approach we make by prayer and sacrament is just a very good and you know tried and true way to pursue holiness with uprightness of heart
0: well there you have it folks so stay tuned when we come back tomorrow we'll be diving into part three of introduction to the devout life Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast Godsplaining. There you will find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. As always, know of our prayers, please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Thank you.